Welcome to Waste Not and Feed the Need, the podcast of Los Fishes Family Kitchen. In today's episode, we have the pleasure to talk to Dr. Greenberg. He's a psychologist and the vice president of programs and services at Life Moves. Enjoy. Welcome to Waste Not and Feed the Need, the podcast of Los Fishes Family Kitchen. My name is Mauricio Cordova, and your co- I'm your host today. My co-host could not make it. <laughs> but we have the pleasure today to talk to Dr. Greenberg. Uh, he's a doctor of psychologist, psychology, excuse me, and the vice president of programs and services of Life Books. Good morning, Dr. Greenberg. Good morning. Glad to be with you. Thank you for spending some of uh, your time with us and sharing uh, a lot of insight and, and, and information today in this space. I hope that you have as much fun as we do when we make this uh, podcast. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, how did you get into psychology? And then uh, how did you end up working at uh, Life's Moves and, and doing really a lot of good work there? Um, well, again, I'm Brian Greenberg. I'm happy to be with you. Um, I've been with Life Moves for 17 years. Prior to this, I ran high-volume, low-cost drug treatment recovery programs. And um, that's uh, similar to operating homeless services in that we try to scale these services, serve a lot of people, be as cost-efficient and as effective and as effective as possible. In drug treatment, it's getting people in recovery. Uh, and in uh, serving uh, the unsheltered, it's about helping people identify uh, permanent exits from homelessness and then retain that housing. So we want to help people exit homelessness and secure and retain housing. Um, so I did the recovery services uh, for 17 years, and now I've been at Life Moves for about 17 years. Wow, that's fantastic. Thank you. You know, are some of our uh, audience will not be 100% familiar with Life Moves. So can you tell us a little bit about the organization, their mission, and I know they have services in Santa Clara and San Mateo counties, uh, and maybe how that it got expanded and changed through the pandemic and after the pandemic. Sure. We operate 27 sites, again, throughout Silicon Valley and the peninsula, or Santa Clara and San Mateo counties. Um, our sweet spot is helping people exit the streets, uh, people being singles, couples, or families, exit the streets and enter our emergency interim housing uh, facilities, uh, what the public might call shelters, um, and then uh, work to exit those shelters into permanent housing. Uh, we serve maybe 180 families with minor children every night, um, and we serve hundreds and hundreds of single adults and couples. Um, again, from everywhere from Daly City um, and City of San Mateo to the north to south of San Jose to the south. Thank you. Yeah, you know, we had the pleasure to do a lot of a lot of work with uh, Life's Moves. We are fortunate that we can provide some of the a lot of the meals that go into those uh, facilities. And I had firsthand seen the, the important work that they do. And it, it would be an organization that I recommend you take a look at, try to volunteer, maybe donate, because it's a fantastic place to, to really make a difference for folks out in the community that are, you know, on a crossroads and, and, and things. So tell us a little bit about their programs and services, a little more in detail. 
do you how do you qualify? Can you just walk in? Uh, what are the some of those things that uh, families and so forth? Because family is something people don't talk a lot about. Homeless, they usually talk about the individual person. Uh, uh, can you elaborate a little bit of that? Yeah, there's so much to say there. You know, I think uh, family homelessness yeah. is is almost invisible. It's so much less visible than individual homelessness. Um, you know, uh, a first, second or third grader. Um, they don't have an ego. And they're so, you know, we get them because they tell their teacher, we're homeless. We're living in a car. Whereas a teenager would die a dirty death before they say that, right? Mm -hmm. Because teenagers, the peer group is everything. So we get calls from for our homeless families with minor children's from social service agencies, from school districts in Santa Clara County. They're funneled through a, a centralized hotline. In San Mateo County, it's more distributed, the referrals through core service agencies. But again, however they come, many times those young families with young children are identified because uh, the younger children have no ego and talk about being homeless um, and aren't as likely to cover it up or hide it as adult teens or their parents are. Um, so we get all kinds of referrals from all kinds of places. Uh, and again, family homelessness is a super challenge throughout uh, Silicon Valley and the peninsula because, you know, one bedroom apartments um, are the average rents are approaching $3,000. Um, so it's so challenging for families working in the service sector, even with two incomes, to be housing secure. For single adults, um, Unlike our families, uh, it tends to be an older population. You know, our average age now is over 50 and it's aging, uh, getting older every year. Uh, single adult homelessness is largely a geriatric problem, um, both uh, in, in, the, in the Bay Area and throughout the nation. It's an aging population. Yeah. Um, many of our uh, single adults are too old to work or too disabled to work. Um, you know, the, some of them worked in hard labor jobs, you know, as as sheet rockers or in construction or whatever for many years, and their bodies have just given out and they can't afford the rents mm -hmm. in the Bay Area. There's just not enough below market uh, rental properties uh, for the population. You know, you mentioned something earlier that uh, we've talked in uh, or touched in this program before. The cost of rent, and I was just—I just spent a week in uh, in Arizona for a class, an immersive class on agriculture. But I—I I was with a lot of folks uh, from different places of the U.S., Ohio, Idaho, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Washington, Oregon—you name it. There was folks from all over the place who were talking about different things. And my point on this one is that. They do not really understand. I mean, everybody thinks that because, you know, we have a lot of engineers and they make a lot of money. Everybody in California is kind of well off or they can afford the, the to live here. But, you know, the average house in the Bay Area is $1.5 million, right? To do that, you make, to afford that, you got to make $375,000 alone. And I was sharing with them that, like you mentioned, a couple with two with two incomes making 20, 25 bucks an hour, let's say, and that's about $80,000, $90,000 a year is poor. Is considered they can't make it. They're so close to homelessness, and they cannot afford 
any services. And a lot of these uh, folks that I was working with work on organizations uh, or government agencies that uh, provide the uh, uh, SNAP program, right? Which we call CalFresh in California. And I go like, you know, these folks might be able to qualify for some sort of exception and they get $20, $30 a month. I mean, they can really use the $300 to the max that you can do because that will be a, a life changer for them. And uh, they just, they were like mesmerized. They're like, uh, how did that work out? I'm like, well, again, like you mentioned earlier, we live in the San Jose was just, just uh, named the most expensive city to live in, right? It, it's an area that is extremely expensive and so volatile and folks that are in the edge can end up in the streets and we don't know about those. So thank you for sharing that. And like I said, it, it's something that if you don't live it in the Bay Area, people don't understand. Maybe LA is similar to that too. They have their own problems like we do. Uh, California is just very expensive. And I think, uh, not sure what the solution on, well, I, I have a couple of theories, but we're not going to get into those today uh, on, uh, on that. So <clears throat> what are some of the things that uh, these folks, when you, have, you put them in a housing, right, and, and like families, for example, what kind of a services do you guys provide? Do you have the ability to, to help them uh, child care or do you have uh, – uh, they can, uh, 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 you know, uh, the training, be able to go to the DMV, get a license if they lost it. Uh, so those are some of the things that I'm, I'm assuming you probably have to help uh, folks uh, obtain and we'll get back so they can go back and maybe interview again, maybe some retraining. So uh, uh, besides, you know, the housing, which is great, but, you know, folks, we know eight out of 10 people that are homeless, we know they'll get out if they can find the right means to do it and the, the ability to do that. Not everybody that is, uh, is homeless or on house, excuse me, want to stay there. I know that's a perception out there that, it, you know, they're there for because they want to be there. No, that's not true. Um, can you kind of tell us a little bit about some of those things that uh, these families go through to your system to get out? Yeah, I want to speak to both of the, uh, both your question and your reflection on the cost of housing here. Um, first, on the cost of housing here, you know, as uh, when the pandemic hit, the home I grew up in in Cleveland sold for eighty four thousand dollars, and it's hard for people that live on the coast for us to wrap our brains around how expensive housing is here and how much more reasonable it is when you get 150 miles away from the coast um, in so much of the country. And that's what our families experiencing homelessness also discover, right? So they, we get them these jobs at Costco for $20 an hour or other places, and they see that outside of the Bay Area, the jobs basically pay the same, but the cost of living is so much less. So after they secure employment, many people do leave to the suburbs of Reno or the suburbs of Sacramento or the Central Valley because it is so challenging to have a righteous life for your family here in the Bay Area if you're working in the service sector. Um, so that's kind of the first part is that um, I think it is, you know, um, uh, middle class people live in a bubble, but poor homeless people can also be living in a bubble and not realize that homes in Texas or Ohio or or Indiana or even Nevada are cost a fraction of what homes cost here. And while apartments here go for three and four dollars a foot in the rest of the country, it's more like a buck a foot or a buck and a quarter a foot mm. um, for an apartment. 
So it's much less challenging. And uh, ultimately, many of our families with minor children do choose to leave the Bay Area. In regards to services, um, when you come into Life Moves, you get what we call a case plan following an assessment. And so that case plan is kind of your Google map for exiting homelessness, right, for for reentering housing. And it might have to do with credit repair. You know, one of the first things landlords do when you fill out an application is check out your credit score. And a poor credit score can be a barrier, is often a barrier to securing housing. It could be a financial literacy class. It could be... Uh, any number of things. It could be uh, relinking with your primary care provider or behavioral health services, mental health services or recovery service. Um, so that case plan is a roadmap. It says this is what the case manager is going to do. And this is what the client is going to do to um, to reenter uh, housing, right, to exit homelessness and to reenter housing. Um, uh, it could be uh, budgeting, putting together a rental portfolio, um, any of the things necessary to secure housing, as well as getting on benefits like mm-hmm. Medi-Cal, CalFresh, um, uh, and, and seeing what benefits the families might in, be entitled to, even though most, the great majority, have a working head of household. You know, and how long how long does it take to navigate through this? Because I'm assuming it's not overnight. It's not something that happens. So there's a lot of patience and a lot of frustration in families that find themselves in, in this unfortunate situation. And uh, uh, how long does it will it take somebody a family to kind of maybe work through this and, and get back on their feet? And, you know, you mentioned about leaving the Bay Area really fast. Again, yes, Reno, Sacramento, some other areas, but also the jobs pay a lot less there, right? They don't make 20 bucks an hour, 25 bucks an hour to start. You might make 12 bucks an hour. So it's a little relative on cost of living, but you're also making less. So there's a trade-off on on some of that part that is something that, you know, uh, uh, is a challenge. And in places, for example, like uh, uh, West Virginia and Kentucky and Mississippi and everything else, the houses are very cheap. But, you know, people still, unfortunately, making seven, eight bucks an hour. So, and you know, like I said, there's a relativity in that that I think is important to notice or, or make a, a point because it'd be great to be able to have California wages and live in uh, Mississippi. Well, you live great uh, or like a king, but unfortunately, that's not the case, right, uh, on that. But going back to the first part of my question, how long does it normally take for family to kind of go through this process? Well, first of all, we like to get families, our model is throughput. So we like to get them in and out as rapidly as possible. Um, So if someone can secure housing three days after they get in, we want to move them through because we have such long wait lists. But in fact, um, the average time is is four or five months. Families generally stay three to seven months. Um, But as soon as they can... um, get into an apartment, uh, whether they have a housing subsidy or a voucher or it's market rate housing or they're reunifying with family or they're joining another family and sharing a house. Um, We try to, you know, it's a housing first model, but we try to get them out, whether they're singles or couples or families, as rapidly as possible. 
because there's such a long wait, both for family uh, units for families, um, mm-hmm. as well as units for singles and couples, adult singles and couples. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, you know good to know that there's no you know, and, and I guess it's a case by case basis, right? Everybody's like a box of chocolates. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're gonna get um, in every case. So now the pandemic, we also increase in need, but also a lot of challenges because you had more people that needed help, but you couldn't have as many people in some of the shelters locations because of social distance and, and everything else. How do you, how do life moves work through, through some of those challenges? And uh, I, I'm dying to understand that. I looked at that and like I said, we, we knew with food, we had to change our model completely from congregate meals to individual meals. So it has this, it had a lot of the cost involved and, and change of processes and everything else. What about the, the shelters and, and the transitional housing and everything you guys do? Yeah, I mean, um, one of the things I want to talk about is what a great partner Loaves and Fishes has been is because <laughs> while food changed from congregate to non-congregate or clamshell dining, our shelters are also changing from congregate to non-congregate. So we've opened during the pandemic and, and soon to be opening, we opened in Half Moon Bay, a non-congregate shelter where everybody has their own door, their own window, their own uh, their own four electrical outlets, their own desk in their room, their own HVAC, uh, heating, venting, air conditioning. Um, we also opened the same thing in Mountain View, um, 88 single rooms and 12 units for families with in-suite bathrooms. We're opening in Palo Alto in the next year or two, again, a non-congregate shelter. Um, We're opening in San Jose, uh, next to the San Jose police station, adjacent to the Guadalupe River. Uh, We've opened a a program on First Street in San Jose. So that that movement that that was kind of, um, it was very challenging for food services. That's why Loaves and Fishes has been such a great partner. Uh, but it also has been a challenge in our shelters because yeah. shelters don't work so great when there is a contagious pandemic. Um, and it did for the for the shelters that are congregate, which means that uh, women are sleeping in a dormitory or barracks style living. And men are sleeping in a dormitory or barracks style where there might be 20 or 30 people in a room. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't work so well. So we had to reduce that capacity um, to allow for social distancing and less chance of contagion spread. So that was a silver lining for shelters, uh, yeah. Yeah, emergency yeah. interim housing programs, because we're mm-hmm. developing all these non-congregate shelters. But the challenges with food services and how loaves and fishes have stepped up to assist us because it's so much more expensive to deliver food in a clamshell um, than in a congregate way where there's a big casserole pan. Um, So there's been this parallel both in housing and in food services um, in the movement from congregate to non-congregate or single rooms on the shelter side and clamshells on the food services side. You know, uh, we the, the only thing that I think saved a lot of us organization-wise to be able to provide services, there was a lot of funding out there for the pandemic. We were fortunate that there was a lot of organizations, foundations, uh, individuals that provided us the money to be able to meet the need that uh, was in front of us. 
um, because we have to buy this packaging uh, units uh, that can uh, for our audience, listening audience. You know, a clamshell is kind of a hard to travel or transport because, you know, everybody's but uh, to go food. You know, you get something with a little bit of a sauce or something, it gets everywhere. So we bought these machines that package everything like a TV dinner. It's fantastic. You know, you put everything there, seals it, and we can transport it. And that allowed us to keep it cold, freeze it, and be able to do more things with it and provide more more food for our partners like Life's Moves and uh but again, I want to kind of do a general shout out to all the organizations and, and individuals that stepped up and provided a lot of funding that a lot of us NGOs needed through the pandemic to be able to uh, to meet the need of a population that already had, you know, a lot of uh, uh, a need, repeating myself here, and it grew, you know, it became more, more stressful and, and severe for them to be out there. So thank you for everybody that helped us <laughs> on that sense. And everything. So, you know, you, you we talked about the pandemic. Now that we're pandemic sober, you mentioned all these solar shelters. And so that's the ongoing plan to continue building uh, non-congregate uh, or obtaining non-congregate shelters. Um, or do you think eventually we might be able to go back to a little bit more normal scenario now that we understand the pandemic and it's starting to move in a different direction. What are your thoughts on that? Or or is it just going to continue going that way? So let me say, first of all, just like when you go to PAM for Stanford Healthcare or a community clinic and everyone's masked, yeah. um, state mandates are that uh, homeless shelters are also masked. So in some real ways, um, we have not come out of the pandemic, right? We're continuing to experience a significant uh, rate of positive tests, of positive tests. Um, so we're coming out of it a little more slowly, good, bad, right, wrong, than the rest of the community. And, I, and yeah. I'm only saying it's good, bad, right, wrong, because the community is also experiencing a bit of a surge. Um, so we, uh, in, you know, I think that in the beginning of the pandemic, our staff were afraid to come to work. And if they came to work, then they were afraid to go home. Would they infect other family members? Mm -hmm. So there was a there was a more of a heightened fear um, in the first 24 months of the pandemic than there is now. But it's still an incredible burden. I think it's so important for the public, other stakeholders like the philanthropic community that donates to either Lowe's and Fishes or Life Moves understands that. that there's mm -hmm. so many pressures of the pandemic that are still with us. Um, I think that as we continue to come out of the pandemic, the, um, you know, I can talk about it both in terms of food and in terms of housing. I think that um, in terms of housing and the homeless situation, the public is going to begin to see less people uh, unhoused on the streets, in their parks, in libraries, because we're beginning to scale services. Um, we're beginning to, instead of only having a bed for one in four homeless people or one in three, we're gonna get up to well over 50% so that there's more places with services for people to get off the street. And as we build more non-congregate settings, people that were reticent to move into shelter because they thought their stuff would get stolen and mm -hmm. they didn't feel safe 
they're going to feel safe in these in these communities. Yeah. So they're going to be less reticent to come in. And we're already seeing that. In terms of um, food services, um, you know, first of all, it's still a challenge for us. We rely on loaves and fishes for, you know, over 300,000 in savings for our agency. Um, you know, an army runs on his stomach. Um, you know, homeless shelters run on their stomach. Um, you know, much of the malnutrition that our folks arrive with isn't from having insufficient food. It's from having the wrong food, right? It's from having too much processed food. Um, so the the whole grains and lean proteins and fruits and vegetables that come with loaves and fishes <laughs> is a ship for our clients. I mean, um, you know, if you watch if you watch a football game, they're not advertising fresh produce and fresh vegetables, right? right. They're advertising um, IHOP and pizzas and processed foods and yeah. sugary drinks. So um, we're focused on improving the health of the people in our, again, the malnutrition that comes from the wrong food um, and from processed foods. Um, and Loaves and Fishes is an important collaborator in that effort. Thank you. You know, <clears throat> we're just fortunate that we can do it. And we're gladly to continue helping and expanding our services to anybody in the community that needs it. So uh, thank you for the shout out. <laughs> I really appreciate it on, uh, on that part. You know, I was reading a very interesting article. Uh, on, actually, it was an NPR article yesterday on uh, the federal government thinking about finding, well, everybody's right now reactionary and we're creating more shelters and things to take care of this problem downstream, right? The homelessness, to the folks that already hit the streets. But uh, there's cities like San, City of San Diego and other places that are starting to think about how do we stop people to go into homelessness, right? So they're thinking more upstream, and that is the rent support for folks that may be in danger. Uh, there could be, you know, anything, other services that allow them to, to send their jobs, maybe sometimes it's money to help repair their car. There's also little things that we take the folks take for granted that make or break a family. So I started to see some of that, so which I think is fantastic. So my point on that is, you know, uh, what are your thoughts about policy or any suggestion of those kind of services that might we might need to see in the Bay Area uh, to help folks not get hit the streets? Because we can build 10,000 uh, uh, rooms for folks that are on the street right now in Santa Clara County. But unfortunately, if we don't solve some of the other problems the root causes of this, there's 10,000 behind them, right? And it's an ongoing and going and going. And that's something that sometimes folks don't realize. They think, okay, we built 10,000 rooms. We're good. No more problem. That doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. So what are your thoughts about, you know, what kind of policy or suggestions? What would you do uh, suggest that some of the things that, that might need to be done? Well, Mauricio, in regards to prevention, I don't think anything's more cost efficient than preventing an individual adult, a couple, or a family with minor children falling into homelessness, right? Prevention is incredibly cost efficient. I think the challenge is that half the Bay Area is a paycheck away 
from uh, falling into homelessness. Um, I mean, it's one medical bill, it's one car breakdown. Um, and so it's so common for people falling behind on, the, on their rent. Um, and there's so many people that are housing insecure that pay over 50% of their income in rent. Um, so it's, it's both cost efficient and it's this huge challenge because the numbers are so large. And, um, you know, the San Jose has the emergency assistance network. You know, we help we participate that in that in areas of downtown San Jose, as well as in North Santa Clara County. Um, and the need is just overwhelming. So, um, you know, I think it's one of those things where you have to attack the cat by both ends. Right. You have to yeah. do prevention on the front end and you got to You know, you have to intervene once also uh, once people fall into homelessness. Um, there's. There's just such a large class of people working in lower wage service sector housing that are paying, again, such a large percentage of their income in rent mm -hmm. that it makes them housing get secure. Um, and so, um, Oh, you know, a small part of what we do is prevention, uh, but those those efforts are certainly, again, very cost efficient, whoever's providing them. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's something that I keep, you know, and I, you're right. Um, so, you know, just making a point there, uh, you know, the election, a bunch of those folks were talking about the the homeless, right? The, the 10,000, 12,000 people in Santa Clara County in the streets. But the one biggest, the bigger problem behind it, or the folks don't consider as sensational for not calling it something else, is the amount of folks that are so close, like you mentioned, to be uh, in say food insecure, but also maybe it's called the working poor, right? They're a paycheck away. They're to do that, and just in Santa Clara County, there's probably eight hundred thousand people like that in, in the Silicon Valley area, which is a it's a lot of folks. So, but nobody talks about it because they're not in the streets. They're not, you know, running around with shopping carts and, and you know, uh, bothering people in, in areas or whatever, right? Uh, it's not as sensitive, I guess, visually at least looking. But that is a problem that, you know, uh, it needs to be addressed to your point. Uh, it's such a bigger, bigger problem. Uh, they're both horrible problems. I don't want to uh, uh, talk down homelessness, the folks that are on the streets, but you know, it's a big, there's other folks behind it that we need to kind of, like you mentioned, prevent to get there, right? So, you know, so how would, let me ask you, so how folks can get involved? How can folks get involved with Life's Moves? Uh, they want to volunteer, donate. Uh, how can the community participate uh, in these efforts? So just like uh, loaves and Fishes, uh, Life Moves relies on the philanthropic community. Um, and so uh, this is a season of giving, but all year, right? I mean, both loaves and Fishes and Life Moves rely on a steady stream of committed partners from the community who understand that um, the nonprofits in the world, the end or non-governmental organization, they help to make life better for all of us. Right. Um, uh -huh. When people have a place to sleep, when people have food to eat, um, it's an improvement for the entire community. 
um, and that uh, s- small donations, big donations, donations throughout the year, uh, organizations like Life Moves and Loaves and Fishes rely on that. Um, I think that um, we both rely on volunteers and not just people serving dinner at Christmas and Easter, right? We both <laughs> Rely. We we like those sprinters that want a religious experience at Christmas Eve and serving yeah. the homeless. But we also like those volunteers who do an hour a week every week. They're in town 40, 40 hour, 40 weeks a year whenever they're in town that become a part of our team, whether it's loaves and fishes or life moves that become skilled at a job, whether it's helping to prepare food or tutoring a child in homework club. Um, we need those volunteers that um, that are robust and resilient and full of grit and come in and just want to lend a hand and become part of the Life Moves team or the or the, or the Loaves and Fishes team um, and come in for 40 weeks a year when you're in town and really add your skill and become, you know, get to know our staff and get to know what niche you can fill. So uh, philanthropy is one way. Um, uh, your time is another way. Uh, some people have unique skills. Um, your accountants, um, your uh, architects, uh, your food service professionals. Um, we need people that have unique skills. Um, so uh, some people have unique skills and some people have labor. They're both equally valuable. Uh, and then we just need uh, you know, the corporate world's probably not uh, may, may not be listening in from that wider breadth of companies. But it's certainly, you know, the, the Bay Area has a wealth of companies, right, of high value companies. So we need the support of them as well. Um, it's very important for corporate America and corporate Silicon Valley to step up and assist agencies like loaves and fishes and life moves in the work that we do um yeah so i think there, uh, there's a broad range of things that we need but in that order probably uh philanthropy and labor um and and in ways that everyone can contribute um in in smaller large ways thank you dr greenberg yes uh if we, we need all kinds of help. And to your point, not only the folks serving food or helping us, uh, you know, pass you know, toys or whatever, something through the holidays. We need help year-round. And that's one of those things that sometimes um, is interesting that, you know, uh, people do want to uh, give more in the, around the holidays. And that's understandable. Uh, but we need your help year-round. Uh, people are hungry year-round. People are homeless or need shelter year-round not only the holidays, so really help us throughout the year because it's really, really important. So before we wrap up uh, the show, any websites or uh, anything, any links that you would like to share, we'll put them in the description. Dr. Greenberg's uh, bio will be in the description of the show as well as uh, any websites uh, that are uh, part of the show. Um, we'll do that. But any anything in particular, any besides the Life Moves website, any other websites folks maybe need to be aware of? Yeah, well, Life Moves is lifemoves.org. I would, I would encourage folks to check out that and the Loaves and Fishes website. And I would just encourage people to think of the work 
that loaves and fishes and life moves does to make that a part of your everyday life, whether it's giving of your time or giving philanthropically to not just think of our organizations over the holidays, but as part of your lifestyle. Um, it can be a small amount of time. It can be a small amount of funds that you give regularly, but for really to make um, to get outside of our bubble, I do encourage people to get outside of your bubbles, you know, whether you want to work with our population directly or with our staff in either organization um, to make it a part of your almost of your of your weekly lifestyle. Um, and I appreciate this opportunity to participate in this podcast. You're welcome. Now, thank you so much for for uh, sharing everything uh, about your uh, work and your experience and life moves. And, you know, it's always I, I love these uh, conversations because I've always learned something new and and I continue to be inspired to continue doing more and more for the community and, and the folks that need it. And I feel blessed that, you know, I uh, I have the ability to do it right. And uh, I, I'm trying to teach my kids some of that. They're older and uh but they, they see the value of helping. So I recommend that to everybody. You know, everybody that you volunteer, uh, any adults are listening and, and volunteering, teach your kids about the the, the 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 gift of giving. And it doesn't need to be food. It doesn't need to be uh, sheltered. Maybe they like uh, uh, puppies. Fine. You know, go, go with the SPCA or find a urban garden, a community garden and, and help find ways to, to get involved. There's so many different ways out there to give back to your community. Could be through education, could be, uh, you know, uh, a different organizations. So find what you need, what are you passionate about? And just, you know, give that hour to a week if you can, or once a month, right? Uh, because there's a lot of need out there in a lot of different ways that could be uh, given back. So with that, Dr. Greenberg, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. It was a pleasure. And to our audience, I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode. And until next time, ciao. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you.